I'll invite you to open your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Romans as we begin a new series this morning. Excited to do that. Um, you, if you uh, want to find the page in the Pew Bible, the page number is written in the worship folder in the order of service so that you can follow along there in the Pew Bible or your copy. This is Paul's letter to some of the very earliest Christians from the city of Rome. And if you've read this book of the Bible, you already know it can be intimidating. Uh, big words, complex arguments, brain-stretching theology. Uh, but, but you know this, right? That some of the most uh, challenging things in life can often be the most rewarding. Last May, our, our uh, family was on vacation in Arizona, and we were near Sedona, and I had planned to stop at Cathedral Rock, And the map showed a short hike, uh, said there was a beautiful view. Uh, But what I couldn't see from the map is that the the path would start out very easy, but very soon turn vertical. Now, not not like rock climbing, like ropes and all that kind of stuff, but, but very quickly we went from walking to more like clambering up on all fours. Uh, so that's what we're doing. And after about 20 minutes or so of this with, you know, just kind of very carefully face, uh, looking at, at rock and, and trying to see where your next foothold would be. Finally, we got to a place where it, it, it leveled off, it opened up and we could see this, uh, incredible view of the valley on the other side. It was, it was well worth the struggle. And, and here Romans can be some tough climbing. But if we keep at it, there's going to be some spectacular views, I promise you. This is just one reason why I'm calling this series Glory in the Gospel. When the, the, it's the theme of this letter. It's, we're going to be able to see God in His glory through the Gospel as it is presented here in the book of Romans. And even beyond that, the, the Gospel is God's way of bringing us into an experience of His glory that we would be glorified with Him. Our passage this morning is just the introduction to the letter, just the the greeting. And normally I wouldn't treat this in a sermon all by itself, verses 1 to 7. But it's clear that Paul intends his opening greeting to be more than just a, you know, dear so-and-so. It's it's the longest greeting of any of his 13 letters that we have in in the Scripture. And it's clear that he, he launches right into the purpose of his letter that becomes clearer later on. He is writing as a missionary, and he's, he wants to gain their support as a church in his mission that's really their shared mission because of their shared calling in Christ. That's what we'll see this morning in Romans 1, verses 1 through 7. So I'll read it. would love for you to follow along as I read. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, Set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's word. And, and here is the message for the Romans, for, for us today. It's this, to embrace the gospel calling that gives us our identity and mission in Christ. That's, that's how I, what I think Paul wants to grab them with, what, what he wants to grab us with, that, that we would embrace the gospel calling that gives us our identity and mission in Christ. Now, it's easy to see in the passage that Paul describes both himself and the Romans as called, verse 1, verse 6. But in the first part of the sermon, I want to focus on the gospel that's there in the middle. So he mentions the gospel at the end of verse 1, and then uh, elaborates on that in verses 2 through 4. So he talks about being set apart for the gospel of God, verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is part 1. The gospel of God. Christ came to restore God's rightful rule over a world gone wrong. Now, Paul is writing to Christians. That's very clear. People who presumably know the gospel. And and that Greek word uh, that is translated here as gospel, it comes into English as the evangel. Uh, So the work of spreading the gospel is evangelism uh, and to be evangelical is to be gospel people, gospel-centered people, gospel-oriented people. I mean, that's, it's in our name. We're evangelicals. We, we should be able to answer this question, what's the gospel? But, but perhaps those in the ancient world would have a better appreciation for the way gospel was literally, the, the word means, good news. Good news. So, see, before it ever became a term um, in the way that you probably were exposed to the word gospel, before it be ever, ever became an uh, expression of a religious message, the good news was, uh, in ancient times, an announcement of victory in battle. It was an announcement that, that to, to celebrate that peace has come because the war is over, that uh, well, listen to Isaiah 52. Maybe you're familiar with this verse from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's good news. So if the good news then Again, uh, historically, culturally speaking, if the good news is the happy announcement that our king has won, that, that God reigns, that our God saves his people, then that makes gospel good news, the perfect word for the message of Jesus. Do we understand that? Because he is the son of God who came to be our savior king. You may already know that the word Christ here in our passage is the Greek form of the Hebrew Messiah. Both literally mean the the anointed one sent by God to rescue, redeem, restore his people. And it's all over these first seven verses. He, He refers to, Paul refers to him as Christ Jesus, as Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is not portraying Jesus here as the, the humble teacher of the common folk, a, a somewhat popular rabbi uh, meandering through Palestine. He is describing Jesus as king, Jesus as Lord of all. 
And we've been focusing on that theme, of course, as we went through uh, the month of December, working through Matthew chapter 1 and 2, leading up to Christmas. Um, you know, the, the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1 supports the claim that he is the Messiah. Humanly speaking, a descendant of David, Israel's great king. And, and God had promised to David that a son of his, a son of David, would one day rule forever as a son of God. And, and also in Matthew chapter 1, um, the angel coming to Joseph and so forth, we, we saw that Jesus was shown to be the son of God by his miraculous conception. But here in Romans verse 4, Paul sees that identity as the son of God from another part of Jesus' story. If Jesus was shown to be a son of David, humanly speaking, in his birth, he was shown to be the son of God by the Spirit in his resurrection from the dead. Jesus is no ordinary human being. Now, note, it does not say that he became the Son of God at his resurrection, as if he was not the Son of God prior to that time. It says he was declared, or some other translations you might be looking at, that he was appointed Son of God at his resurrection. Meaning, when he rose from the dead, when he ascended on high to the right hand of the Father, Jesus takes the throne. And in taking the throne, thus, in that moment, he is formally declared, announced, recognized as the Son of God who reigns. So think of Psalm 2, which says this, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And, and today in that passage is not Jesus' birth as a baby, but his coronation as king, his exaltation to the throne. This is the big announcement. This is the good news. Jesus reigns. He is king. This is the good news, the gospel. Now, Rome had a different gospel, a different good news. If you visit, visited the um, Berlin Museum in Germany, uh, you could see uh, some stones, carved stones that were taken from a marketplace in a, a city in Asia Minor from the time of the Roman Empire. They were carved back in the years not long before Jesus was born. Here's part of the inscription. So this is, this is a Roman uh, frame of mind, Roman idea of gospel, of good news. Whereas the providence which has regulated our whole existence has brought our life to the climax of perfection in giving us the emperor Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants as savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order, and whereas having become God manifest, Caesar has fulfilled all the hopes of earlier times. The birthday of the god Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of good news concerning him. Wow, did you, did you catch all that? I mean, there's, everything is in there. Their, their good news, their gospel was the birth of a king sent by God to be the Savior as, as God manifest, uh, bringing peace and setting all things in order. It's a different gospel. It was a different king, Caesar Augustus. And, and these, two, these two gospels, these two good news forces the question, well, okay, but who's the real king? Who's, who are the people of the true gospel? And understand that these Romans, the, the ones that Paul is writing to, uh, living, in the, living really in the center of the world at that time, the, the, the glory of Rome, uh, these Romans would have had every reason to buy into the Roman gospel, right? I mean, Rome was the center of the world. 
They, they were the empire. They, they, they had all the governmental authority, all the military might, all the economic power. But what if the Roman gospel is not good news, but fake news? What if the real good news was about a different king ruling over a different kingdom? Paul says, this, what I'm, what I'm talking about, what I'm living for, what, what we share is the gospel of God, not the, not the hype of man, not the claims of any other king. It's what God has promised for centuries through the prophets in Scripture. Jesus, not only born in the royal line, but resurrected to reign forever, long after Caesar Augustus has come and gone. Why does the gospel, why does this gospel matter in 2022? Not just in ancient Rome, but for us today. Because it's so much the same, right? Uh, as the Bible has explained uh, human history, our world, the human race, is in rebellion against its creator God. And this is why our world is filled then and now with crime, with corruption, with catastrophe, cancer, you name it. But I'm here to tell you, the good news. The king has come and he reigns. That's good news. Christ came to restore God's rightful rule over a world gone wrong. And this letter is no less challenging to us today as Christians living in America. We have every reason to buy in to the American gospel as those Romans would have had to buy into the Roman gospel. We, we, we look at our that where we live in, in our nation, in, in our world, and we, we say, we, we are free, we are prosperous, we rule the world. Our military, our industry, our technology, our economy, our democracy, we are the answer. We are the ones the world has been waiting for. The question for us as we read this letter, are we evangelicals in the biblical sense? Not in the cultural, the political, the traditional sense, but in the biblical sense. Do we embrace the gospel of God? Christ is Lord. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He reigns. And remember, this is just the, this is just the opening greeting to the letter. There's, there's much more to say about the, this good news in the pages that follow, but this gospel of God defines the relationship between Paul and these Romans. And let's return now, part two, to Paul specifically. So part two, called to be an apostle. The missionary works to bring everyone, everywhere, into life with Christ. So pick up where we left off at the end of verse four. Talking about Jesus, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through, verse 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. And that circles back to how Paul introduced himself in verse 1. So verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul considers himself to be a servant or, or slave of Christ. That's the broader category. His is a life that is completely given over to serve the king. I do what he commands. I work to further his interests. 
And then the more specific role that Paul has in the service of the king is that of an apostle. The term apostle, maybe you know this, is, simply means someone who is sent. So it could be a messenger, it could be an ambassador, uh, or missionary. Um, missionary is just the, the Latin equivalent of the Greek apostle. Both mean someone who is sent, sent on a mission, someone who is uh, sent. And the mission here, of course, is to take the gospel to more and more people. Uh, Paul has been called, he's been commissioned to spread the good news. And it's, it's all a gift uh, from God that to be considered one of his servants, to be entrusted with this message, he has been given grace and apostleship. And I should note here that, that Paul was, uh, was one of a number of, a small, relatively small number of apostles who had been personally commissioned by Jesus. And if you think, was Paul personally commissioned by Jesus? Like the, you know, the, the, what we think of as the 12 disciples? Well, remember, Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, seeing a vision of Christ. Christ personally commissions Paul. And Paul is among those, uh, if we could say this, capital A apostles, personally commissioned by Jesus, who have uh, then been called to serve as authoritative witnesses of Christ to the world. And that includes, that authoritative witness includes the writing of Scripture, what we have as the New Testament. Um, in tandem with what we have from the Old Testament, we think of them as the prophets and the apostles, the Old Testament prophets mentioned uh, here already, prophets of the Old Testament, apostles in the New. Um, but there were other apostles, we could say little a, lowercase a apostles, who were, again, just among those who were sent, who were sent on mission to spread the gospel. So, if you, uh, today, if you hear a church claiming to have apostles or a TV preacher claiming to be an apostle, if they're, if they're talking like they're an apostle, like at, at the level of Paul, Peter, John, with the, with the same power to do miracles, with, the, with teaching that has the same authority of Scripture, uh, no. Okay, let, let's just be real clear. No. If, if, if someone wants to be an, a little a apostle, someone sent, to, someone sent to spread the gospel, a pioneer missionary, uh, a church planter, uh, whether here or around the world, well, yes, that, that, we, that we have. We have people who are sent. We just don't typically call them apostles anymore. We, we just use the word missionaries to, uh, to clarify that, um, the distinction between those capital A apostles and little a apostles. So we still send missionaries. We, we commission, we support them financially because we are still in that era of gospel proclamation. Uh, when, when is that era? Well, it's real, real simple. The time between Jesus' uh, resurrection and ascension and the time when he comes back. And in between, we are in the era, the time of gospel proclamation. That's the mission. And whether you think, I mean, the Romans clearly were living at the very beginning of that era. And whether you think that we're somewhere in the middle or somewhere really close to the end, that's up for discussion. But what we're in it, and this is what we are called to do. That's the that's the win of the mission. Verse five gives us the what, the why, and the where. So look at the second part of verse five: to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. The what, the why, and the where. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now, the obedience of faith. 
that might sound to you, if you are theologically astute here today, it might sound a little bit to you like an oxymoron, like you know, two, two words that, that don't go together, like deafening silence or jumbo shrimp. It's an oxymoron. Obedience of faith, faith is, faith is simply trusting and resting and relying on what God does for you. I'm not doing anything. I'm just trusting in God. I'm just relying on faith. And obedience, I mean, that's, that's active. That's doing. That's, that's following His commands. That's doing good works. And so, obedience of faith, how, how does that go together? Well, it could refer to that to faith as an act of obedience. Uh, if you look later in Romans, I'm going to read Romans chapter 10, verse 15 and 16. You can look at this later, but Romans 10, 15 and 16, listen to this. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So do you catch that? They, they did not obey the gospel because they did not believe the gospel. So failing to believe the gospel, to have faith, is a failing to obey the gospel. In other words, you, when, when you do not respond properly to its authoritative claim in refusing the gospel, you are refusing to bow before King Jesus. So the obedience of faith could be that initial uh, belief in the gospel, or another way of understanding that phrase, the obedience of faith, it could be the ongoing life of submission to Christ as a disciple. Isn't that what we hear in the Great Commission at the, at the very end of the book of Matthew? These are very familiar words to you, uh, I'm, I'm sure, uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, but hear these words as the marching orders given by King Jesus. When he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There's that time frame of the mission. There's the scope of the mission, all nations calling people to become disciples to obey all that he's commanded, to take on his name. So not just calling, when, when we do the work of evangelism, of gospel witness, we're not just calling people to pray a prayer. We're rather, we're calling them to surrender to Christ, to, to ascribe allegiance to his name, to pledge allegiance to his flag, to go forward in a life of obedience to his command. He's the king, and we are his grateful servants and subjects. That's, that's bringing about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Among all the nations, that's the, the where and the, the who, the, the to whom of the mission. For the sake of his name, well, that's also who. That's the for whom and the why. Why should the Romans care about missions. I mean, they're, they're at the center of the world. The world comes to them. Why should they care about missions? Why should we? I mean, doesn't everybody want to get into the United States? Why should we care about going elsewhere to the world with this gospel? Well, here's the first of two reasons in this passage. For the sake of his name. For the sake of his name. For the honor and glory of King Jesus. Is that a big deal to you? Is that a big deal to us as a church? Do, do we care about the honor and glory of King Jesus going, being, being to shining forth and spreading out throughout the world? 
we, I, I, I confess, we, I, we probably don't have a big enough vision for that. We, we, we talk about it, we're committed to it, yes, but oh, it's so easy to, to let our eyes go to smaller things. If, leading up to Christmas, I, I'm sure you saw, if you watch any TV at all, you saw uh, advertisements for these virtual reality goggles, right? The people wearing these things on their face, and they're either, they're either playing video games, or they're, um, you know, they're traveling, you know, or they're, they're working out in these, these goggles on. Maybe you got some. I, I, and I also like to see videos of people crashing into things as they're wearing, uh, wearing these, these goggles. So just, just just imagine that I, you know, Paul is wanting to, to expand our vision, our imagination, um, not with some virtual reality, but the, the actual reality of our gospel mission. Now, th- just think through this passage with me this morning, and, and you know, we're, we're putting, on these, putting on these goggles, and okay, now we've got them on, and, we, and we're, we're opening our eyes to, the, to this vast darkness of space, and then just imagine, whoosh, and we can kind of, you kind of tell, like, okay, we're going, we're going back through history, back, 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 back to creation. We're, we're going to the very beginning of history, the beginning of creation, when then, then the world first fell, when the human race turned against God, and then, then whoosh, we're going forward year after year, century after century, thousands of years as God worked through a people, through, through Israel, through its priests and its prophets and its kings, all anticipating the coming of one king, one Messiah, the Savior King. And then, then bam, he, he came. And, and all that, that rush of centuries come, comes to a screeching halt and to one night when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And, and those years when he, he grew up and, and ministered in Galilee, to that, to that week when Jesus uh, had a celebrated arrival into the city of Jerusalem and, and then ending that week with a crucifixion on a hill outside that city. Three days later, resurrected to glory. And before he, sends, he, uh, before he ascends to heaven, he sends out his disciples to make disciples. So, so whoosh again in our, in our little goggle experience, right? From the very small part of the world where Jesus lived and walked and taught to whoosh every corner of the globe, every nation, every culture, every language, and every ecosystem and part of and, and climate everywhere, the message of Jesus being carried by those whom he had sent to proclaim the good news year after year, century after century, going on almost 2,000 years now from when Jesus walked the earth. And why? Why? Because he's the king for the honor and glory of his name. Yes, he was born as Israel's Messiah, but he is the rightful king of the world. This is his creation, and we were created to bear his image, to reflect his glory in every part of this world. The mission is to call people back, back to loving submission to their Lord, back to a, a, a knowledge of their creator and, a, and a, 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 a loving relationship with him as their God and Father. That's the mission. Can, can you see it? Can, can we see it better? Oh, we didn't have goggles today, but, but can you see what he's trying to show us? This is the calling of the missionary. It's the calling of the gospel. This is the partnership that we should be invested in as a church because that calling 
is connected to our calling. Paul's calling is connected to the Romans' calling. It's connected to our calling as the Evangelical Free Church of Mount Morris. It's the, the, if the first reason that we should care about the mission is the sake of his name, the honor and glory of King Jesus, the second reason is because we too have been the beneficiaries of the gospel. How can we not want to see the gospel to continue to spread and go out and reach the world? So you see the end of, uh, well, just pick up the end of verse 5. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those who, in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is part three. Called to be saints. The church is the family of God and an embassy of Christ's kingdom. This is who we are. This is our identity. This is our mission. Now, it's true in some sense that as Christians, we're, we're all missionaries. Have you heard pastors say that before? Mission, maybe missionaries say, in some sense, as Christians, we're all missionaries. We all have a part in taking the gospel to everyone, everywhere. But we, at the same time, recognize that, that some are called to go to the nations, to all the nations, as he says here in this passage, perhaps they've been, uh, some have been especially gifted by God to be able to, to work cross-culturally, to, to have a certain facility with learning new languages, to, uh, to move uh, far from family to the other side of the world. Most of us are not cut out for that. Most of us are not called to that. But Paul says, I've been called to be an apostle, a missionary. And how does he describe their calling? Presumably ours as well as believers. How, how does this calling that he describes, how does that calling add to our understanding of the gospel? How does this gain our support for the ongoing mission? Well, verse 6, we who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Called to belong to Jesus Christ. This seems to parallel Paul's self-description uh, as a slave, a servant of Christ. Not that Jesus treats us as you know, mere property, just uh, cogs in the big machine that is his kingdom. No, but we are, we are his, like a, a bride and a groom, like, like parents and child. We belong to one another. We are his. When we respond to the gospel, coming to faith, uh, excuse me, coming to Christ in the obedience of faith, we are connected to the son of God in such a way that his father becomes our father. Do you see that? It's right there in verse 7. We are those who are loved by God. He is our Father. We belong to the family of God. That's what the church is. This congregation, what the church is together around the world and down through history, we are the family of God. And we are, verse 7, we are called, not only called to belong to Jesus Christ, called to be saints. Now, that word there describing the saints is not the same term, but I think this also parallels what Paul says about being set apart for the gospel. So, Paul is a servant of God and set apart for the gospel. We are uh, called to belong to Jesus, called to be saints. So, uh, well, that does not mean that we're some kind of special um, halo uh, 
a canonized saint um, in a you know a marble statue memorialized in a marble statue in, in the in some nook of the church somewhere. Not not that kind of saint. Simply mean we are among his holy people, his set apart people, his special people. That's true of all of us if we are in Christ. That's our calling. Uh, these Romans that Paul is writing to are now a holy people in, in at least a couple of senses, right? They, uh, this is true for you too. Holy as in turn, having turned from sin, having turned from an old way of life, having turned from defiance to God to turning to the obedience of faith, turning to a recognition of his lordship over your life, a, a, a welcoming of his kingship and receiving him as your savior. That's Holy, set apart. Holy, distinguished, in another sense, holy, distinguished from typical Roman society and all of their values and behaviors and patterns, turning, set apart from typical Roman society to be God's people. To be God's people, devoted, dedicated to Him. If we pick up this letter uh, from Paul, too, too casually, too flippantly, we might say, well, Paul, hey, we're Christians. We're evangelicals. We already know the gospel. But the question is, do we understand the gospel in this way? Do we understand the implications of that, that we are called to belong to Jesus Christ, that we are called to be saints? It's got to be more than a prayer that you prayed some time ago, maybe long ago for you, because just because you wanted to go to heaven rather than hell when you die. Now, I'm not taking away anything of that from the gospel. We, when we continue through the coming pages of this letter, Paul will talk about our sin and God's wrath, and he will talk about forgiveness of sin that is accomplished through Jesus' sacrifice for our sake that leads to eternal life. We're, we'll, we'll talk about all of that stuff. Not dismissing that, but the question here is, do we see what Paul is showing us? Do we see Jesus as king? Do we welcome his reign over this world, over our lives, meaning we submit to his rule, to his authority, such that we turn from sin to the obedience of faith, we turn from the twisted values and priorities of our dominant culture to belong to Jesus, to be his people, to be set apart holy. If we have responded to the good news that Jesus is king, if we've responded to that, we may feel like these Roman believers, we may feel alienated from Rome, alienated from the United States, but we are right at home with our heavenly father. We may feel ostracized from the prevailing culture, but we are loved by God. We may feel like the place that we used to call home now feels more and more like hostile territory, like we're not welcome. But folks, this church, the church, is an embassy of Christ's kingdom, of a different kingdom. We, we are resident aliens. We are exiles, and yet we are ambassadors. We're here for a purpose. We're here for a purpose, for a mission. If we really know the gospel then this is our identity and mission. We're the family of God. We're an embassy of Christ's kingdom. In this section, Paul doesn't use the word church here, 
But do you know the, the New Testament word, the, the Greek word that gets translated as church? It, the, the Greek is ekklesia. It, it, it means, uh, simply means the assembly, uh, those who have been uh, summoned to gather as an assembly, or more literally, those who have been called. That's who we are. We're the called. Called by God. Not, not In one sense, nothing special except that the king has called us to himself by faith and has commissioned us to go out with his good news. That's who we are. We're just getting started. Paul has a lot more to say in this letter, a lot more about the gospel, uh, what the gospel is in Christ, who we are as a people in Christ. But this is what I believe that Paul wanted the Romans to get from the outset, what I believe that we need to get as he is trying to give us a vision just to, to launch into this when our vision is so puny and pathetic, our, imag- our spiritual imaginations are so small. Embrace the gospel calling that gives us our identity and mission in Christ. Folks, that's the calling that we share. And it's something we can go forward into 2022, yet another year in, the, in an era of gospel proclamation until Christ returns. Let's go forward together, all right? Let's pray. God, we are humbly and happily bowing before you. As the, as the king who is greater than, than we can imagine, so much greater than we are, and that is a good, good thing because, because the problems of our world, the problems of our lives are, are much greater than we are, but they are not greater than you. As you come to reassert your rightful rule over this world, God, begin with us. Begin in our hearts. Let us be, let, let our, our very hearts be an outpost of your kingdom. Let this church together as a people be an, an outpost, an embassy of your kingdom. And God, we will, we will praise you as we see the work go forward. It, it's, it's certainly not always easy, and, it's, and it, it's, there is resistance to this good news. But God, if we've, been, if we've been saved, if we've been called, if the gospel's come to us, oh God, give us the heart, give us the vision for seeing the, the gospel, the good news, to continue to go out for the sake of of his name among all the nations. Do this work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. Mm-hmm.